You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Scholl, and I wish to conclude chapter 12 of the Limits of Political Philosophy, and this is the second section. And we begin with the discussion of virtue and friendship. The restriction on the number of friends implied uh, some sort of uh, unfinished agenda in the universe, an agenda with which we seem to be involved. The limitation on the number of friends implied that the highest purpose of this life could be uh, completed uh, without our being friends with everyone who ever existed. The reason why we could not be friends with everyone had to do with the uh, nature of uh, time and of the length of our days. Human life at its best lasted four score years and ten, more or less. During this time, human life passed through the stages of birth, uh, childhood, youth, adulthood, uh, middle age, old age, and death. Friendship required a certain maturity. Friendships of the young, which were so unstable, were mostly based on passing pleasure and changing and change frequently. Friendships of the old age were rather more based on utility, uh, on uh, the uh, increasing needs uh, the old had for help, comfort, and assistance. Even here, the revelational tradition has suspected that the friendship of the old needs to be uh, supplemented with a kind of sacrificial charity, really, to uh, meet the needs of the old. Well, there were natural conditions of youth and old age They did not deal with the highest sort of friendship, that of good persons through friendship uh, uh, engaged in the exchange of the highest things uh, for their own sake. Time itself was one of the main questions, the main reasons why we could not have many friends. To do uh, friendship justice, It required experience, the opportunity uh, uh, to live together, and to learn character, to choose and to hold the highest truth in common, practice virtue, and yet to uh, experience the ordinary things of life. Friends recognized that they were engaged in a similar pursuit of truth and a true understanding of the good life that included questions of the deepest philosophical and religious import. Plato insisted in his symposium that love required that friends be honorable. Their honor uh, included objective truth and wisdom that were not subject merely to the will of the friends or to the will of the polity. Since much of lifetime was required to know someone else, 
sufficiently well enough to be friends, and since friendship required a certain common life in which the uh, exchange proper to friendship could happen, the natural order of things uh, intimated that we each, if we were fortunate, would have but few friends in our lives. It is at this point also that the Christian doctrine of marriage uh, meets in the most surprising manner the Aristotelian uh, doctrine of friendship. In a healthy society, no doubt, many mutual friendships would exist. These depended on their dignity, or their dignity, on the common pursuit of a being, truth, beauty, and ultimate order. This pursuit was implied by the very nature of our minds, whose objects uh, were all that is. While the natural order of those of this world explained uh, why we could have a few friends, it also indicated in what uh, these friendships consisted. Friendship was proper to the end of the polity, to leisure. Friendship uh, support, supported that condition in which what needs to be done morally and materially for the full life is in fact done. If the polity is the product of the highest of the practical sciences, the citizens of the polity will still not have uh, activated these virtues of intellect and speculation that would satisfy all of their all that is in their human minds. Joseph Pieper remarked that quote, all practical activity from the practice of the ethical virtues uh, to uh, gaining uh, the means of livelihood serves something other than itself. He continued, and this other thing is not practical activity. It is having what is sought after while we rest content in the results of our active uh, efforts. Precisely that is the meaning of the old adage that the active life is fulfilled in the contemplative life. To be sure, the active life contains a felicity of its own. It lies, says uh, Thomas, principally in the practice of prudence, in the perfect art of the conduct of life. But ultimate repose cannot be found in this kind of felicity. The active life disposes us to the contemplative life. The ultimate meaning of the active life is to make possible the happiness of contemplation. The end of the quote. The highest forms of friendship penetrate to the life of contemplation, which itself is ordained to the object of contemplation, to the order of being. 
polity and family exist for virtue, but virtue exists for friendship, for the activities of the virtues. The highest thing, highest things exist in the one place where they can exist, in the conversation and exchanges of friends. Aristotle discussed the intellectual virtues in particular, wisdom, science, first principles, in Book 6 of the Ethics. These virtues make possible that peculiar unity of the mind's own search for truth and the exchanges of this search in the friendship of, of those who understand and know it. Search for the uh, truth or the, um, uh, or the meditation on beauty, however, uh, however solitary, seeks an overflow in friendship, seeks to talk about it. Human completeness. Two other questions about friendship need, needed uh, philosophical attention for Aristotle. The first was the question of whether we wanted the best possible condition for our friends. Would we want the best uh, for our friends uh, that they become kings or gods, uh, for instance? What lay behind this uh, consideration of whether we would want our friends to be something else was whether it was all right to be a human being. Would it not be better to insist that human beings were poorly made so that they would be better off being gods or being uh, more perfect beings? The effort to create a new man has been a persistent one, usually a destructive one, in the political history. Aristotle took it for granted that we could not be a friend of God. Too much distance, he thought, separated uh, the realm of the human life and the divine life. Friendship required a certain equality of nature or condition. Human friendships demanded that friends be human beings, otherwise um, any understanding of friendship would be ambiguous. The problem can perhaps be illustrated in another passage from uh, found in Boswell. In a conversation with Samuel Johnson that took place in 1772, Boswell remarked, quote, Finding him, Johnson, in a very good humor, I ventured to lead him to the subject of our situation in a future state, having much curiosity to know his notions on that point. Johnson, why, sir, the happiness of an unembodied spirit will consist in a consciousness of the favor of God in the uh, contemplation of truth and in the possession of felicitous, felicitating uh, ideas. 
module. But sir, is there any harm in our forming uh, to ourselves conjectures as to the particulars of the of our happiness? Uh, though the scripture uh, has said uh, but very little on this uh, topic, we know not what we are about, but we know not what we shall be. Johnson, <coughs> sir, there is no harm. What philosophy suggests to us on this topic is uh, probable. What scripture tells us is certain. Boswell. One of the most pleasing thoughts is that we shall see our friends again. Johnson. Yes, sir, but you must consider that when we are become purely rational, many of our friendships uh, will be cut off. Many friendships are formed by uh, a community of sensual pleasure. All of these will be cut off. We form many friendships with bad men because they have agreeable qualities and they can be useful to us. But after death, they can no longer be of use to us. We form many friendships by mistake, imagining people to be uh, different from what they really are. After death, we shall see everyone in his true light. End of the quote. These remarks of Johnson underscore the problem of friendship as it existed in Aristotle. Namely, what is the relation of the whole person, body and soul, to a friendship that includes a whole person? We want to recognize each friend as a complete human being and not as a god or simply as whole. Johnson followed the Greek idea of the immortality of the soul as that question was used by Christian theologians to explain the continuity of individual being after death. Nothing unorthodox is found in Johnson's response, either in the Greek sense or in the Christian sense. Our wish for the good of a friend uh, does not want him to be someone other than himself. We do not wish the good of someone by wishing that he were someone else. Friendship must include a desire that the whole person be involved in friendship, even after death, if the logic of the argument is to be maintained. This position hinted that something is incomplete about the uh, uh, response of Johnson, as he would admit, for it did not include a discussion of the resurrection of the body a doctrine that is directly related uh, to the discussion of friendship as it existed in the philosophical considerations of the Greeks. Uh, we want to remain ourselves throughout our relationships with others, including God. For the same reason, 
we want God to be God. Particularly, uh, we want our friendships to remain. The philosophic exchanges of uh, disembodied spirits, the uh, disembodied spirits, which are all the nature that all the natural philosophers can be expected to uh, justify and to which Johnson referred, are not the whole of what is implied in friendship. However much these exchanges of pure soul uh, solve the problem of human continuity after death. The same conclusion comes even more to the fore in uh, considering the question of whether we can be friends with God. Aristotle, in his discussion of this topic, approached it not from the side of human friendship, but from the side of God. Recognizing that friendship was a perfection in men of the highest order, it seemed to indicate a lack in God if he had no friends. Even though Aristotle's God, or first mover, was understood to be uh, the kind of being that moved others by love and knowledge, uh, this inner life evidently implied no direct relationships with what is not God. Unlike the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, which posited otherness of persons in God, Aristotle's first mover seemed to be merely solitary. Besides, what was not God would not be adequate to his friendship, even though there are theories that uh, postulated that this was the very reason for his loneliness. Uh, God was necessitated, so if he says he was lonely, he was necessitated to create something besides himself to love. This lack of any uh, apparent possibility of friendship in God seemed to suggest that God was incomplete or that what was not God, that is the rest of the cosmos, was uh, designed to make up for what was lacking in God. But a God uh, who lacks something would not seem to be God at all. Friendship implies not merely otherness, but otherness with an uh, independence and an inner life, a life free enough to will or to choose what was not itself. This choosing, in turn, presupposed a genuine knowledge that was properly uh, possessed uh, by a being as its own. Aristotle did not see any possibility of a friendship between man and God, and he seems uh, at first sight and, uh, in, uh, and in reason to be correct in this position. Still, this, his theory of knowledge and choice did leave open some uh, link or relationship that would not merely be inert. Johnson, with um, distinct overtones from Plato uh, and Aristotle, described 
what an immortal soul appear separated from its body might know. This description would have been perfectly intelligible to Plato and Aristotle. The separated soul for Johnson had a consciousness of uh, the favor of God in the contemplation of truth and in the possession of felicitating ideas. Likewise, this was the this was in part a description of the activity of the philosopher in this life. This question was what was behind the position that the highest kind of life was that of the philosopher, the contemplative life. Political living naturally related to questions of the purpose of the virtues, while the virtues enabled the philosopher, at least, to ask questions concerning the highest things. Among the highest things were considerations of friendship. Was friendship not the context of the reality of the highest things, the proper mode of their existence? The question of friendship with God implied that the highest relationships with the deity would include a friendship between God and rational being. That such a relationship did not seem on philosophical grounds to be possible did not prevent the question from being asked with some force of logic. Friendship and the highest thing. The argument about the existence of God, of a first mover, was the most important question the philosopher in his leisure confronted. If the cosmos indicated a specific ordering of its parts, this meant, this meant that the property of the highest things included mind or spirit, since mind could arise from no other uh, source but mind itself. Order came from neither nothing nor chaos, came from mind. Aristotle did not idly wonder then whether God was not lonely, because his kind of being implied, as far as Aristotle could sell, no friends. Aristotle left the question stand as it was found, namely insolvable, but perplexing nonetheless. Aristotle seemed correct in maintaining that too much distance in the levels of their respective being existed between uh, men and God for such two diverse beings ever to be friends in any proper sense. Once we have these two questions or perplexities clearly in our mind, namely the apparent loneliness of God and the presumed uh, impossibility of friendship between man and God, we can understand uh, their force as philosophical propositions apparently incapable of solutions. Did they indicate some 
disorder in the universe? Or were there, solu are there solutions that philosophy could not comprehend by its own powers, even though it could at least naturally uh, formulate the questions. These questions arose out of the classical, ethical, and political books. It is on this issue that reason and revelation uh, confront one another, not apart from, but uh, uh, but within uh, questions that must be uh, legitimately uh, felt and uh, formulated by the uh, experience of politics and philosophy. Revelation presented itself to two essential propositions. The first is that an ordered inner life exists in the Godhead. This life manifests a diversity of precisely persons. This diversity of persons, usually discussed under the heading of the Trinity, would seem to be addressed to the philosophical question of whether God was intrinsically lonely, a question originally appearing within the treatise on friendship in the Ethics of Aristotle as a legitimate subject of philosophical wonder. If God was not, in fact, lonely, this divine completeness would suggest that what was not God did not exist because it was uh, needed by God to complete himself. The philosophical perplexity about a divine incompleteness, a perplexity caused by the suspicion that God lacked what was the highest relationship among other rational beings, was resolved in Revelation, which <clears throat> described God as three persons uh, in a complete life. God, in other words, was not lonely. Friendship was possible within the Godhead. What was not God bore this uh, image. This resolution did not mean that the teaching of revelation about the inner life of God suddenly became something the philosophers could reach by his own methods. The teaching that God is not lonely because of the trinity of persons remains closed to proper philosophical argument. Philosophy cannot demonstrate that such an understanding of the Godhead is uh, impossible, nor can it pretend not to understand its uh, uh, implications. Philosophy, if it is to be honest and open to all that is, must recognize that this teaching does address itself to what was apparently an insolvable but a genuine philosophical problem. The net effect of the uh, comparison of revelation and philosophical teaching is not an incompleteness in the universe suspected by the philosopher, may 
but may not be the full description of reality. The unity of the whole remains a possibility even for the uh, philosopher uh, on, this, on this basis. The incompleteness of philosophy. The second teaching of Revelation is that one of the members of the Trinity, the second person, became man and dwelt amongst men for a given time in a given place. Though many people will know uh, that this is the teaching of Revelation, it will not uh, take uh, on full meaning until <clears throat> the philosophical question of friendship in all its power is posed, intellectually posed. This teaching of Revelation about the fact that God became man was addressed to the second major perplexity arising from the treatise on friendship. If the dis distance between God and man was too great to expect any communication between them in terms meaningful to human beings, uh, as uh, seemed to be the case to the philosopher, this impossibility could be overcome if God became man. It is therefore striking uh, in the Gospel of uh, John, in particular at the Last Supper, that the relationship between Christ and his disciples is presented as a form of proper friendship. The disciples were called not servants, but friends because the highest things were communicated to them. Both the notions of friends and, uh, and the communication of the highest things are grounded in the classical treatment of friendship. That Christ was man-god cannot be proved in uh, terms of philosophical demonstration. What can be shown is that such an eventuality is not absolutely contradictory. What does seem striking from this discussion of friendship is that the philosophical reasons for denying the possibility of friendship with uh, the Godhead are set aside if, in fact, in the Incarnation, God uh, became also a human being while remaining God. For it was this lack of the possibility of friendship with God that made uh, some plausible argument in uh, philosophical terms that there was a fundamental uh, disorder in the universe. Philosophical perplexities about friendship with God and the uh, loneliness of God uh, confront implicitly the two central difficulties that arise from the treatise on friendship, namely the <clears throat> limitation of friends to merely a few and two are remaining ourselves in receiving the highest thing and the best of friends. The 
unsatisfactoriness of the philosophical solution uh, to our not knowing many others as true friends, that is, our lack of time or virtue, is a condition of the wholeness of the of friendships uh, we do have as morals. If we would not want to uh, cease to be ourselves in our friendships, and if the human uh, being in his natural state included his body and soul, then again the teaching of revelation on eternal life and the resurrection exactly uh, responds to these difficulties that bothered the philosophers in the theory of friendship. The fact that we could only have a few friends in this lifetime seems both necessary and good in the order of morality, uh, mortality as experienced by men in the polity. But our intelligence was in its nature capax omnium, capable of knowing all things, including all other uh, limits, limited beings, and perhaps in some fashion the divine, the divinity itself, as Johnson intimated. The possibility of a proper friendship with everyone could not be automatically uh, excluded. The doctrine of the resurrection of the body is a response to a, prop, a perplexity that the treatise on friendship, as it arose in political philosophy, but never was never able to be resolved there in its depths, maintains. It is also a response to the problem of the actual unity of all men in the highest things, both those we know and those in our uh, those in our time, and those in any time. The doctrine of eternal life, and that of uh, its relation to time, finally relate to the uh, pro uh, to the problem of the shortness of time in, in which we, the mortals, uh, can know all that is, all that things are. The response of friendship. One final lesson can be drawn from the tra uh, treatise on friendship. Then the man was happy not by possession, but by activities of the virtues. Ideas and truths did not exist unless they were actually being thought. Friendship implied that the highest things existed in the communication of friends with all the depths of goodness, truth, and passion that such an activity implied and the nature of their being allowed. While human affairs, including those of politics, were worthy endeavors and, and closest to us in terms of understanding and familiarity, still we were warned, even by Aristotle in Book 10 of the Ethics, not to listen to those 
who told us to look only to human affairs, but to devote our attention to the highest things, which would often seem tenuous and difficult, but worth all of our efforts. And Plato, he said in the laws, that God alone is serious, that human affairs in comparison are lightsome, are unserious. The only really serious thing in the universe was God, and we were but God's playthings, as Plato taught us in the laws, where playthings meant objects of delight, independence, and autonomy. Our response to God, Plato thought, was to uh, be that of singing and sacrificing and dancing. That is, we stood to the Godhead as receivers of the highest things. What we could do was respond in delight uh, to what was given to us, not of our own making. This response did not mean that we should not perform proper human activities, even political activities, uh, to respond to the reality uh, to what is. But it did mean that what was happening to, uh, in the world fell more into the category of praise and affirmation than into an object uh, uh, constructed by purely human uh, powers. This difference between making and uh, making and praise is really the ultimate answer to modernity's uh, obsession with self-determined uh, uh, worlds and knowledges. By themselves, the many ironies and perplexities of the treatise on friendship provide intellectual stimuli of the highest import and provocation. By neglecting it, political philosophy has avoided, avoided its most fascinating enterprises and dignity. The loneliness of God, the fewness of our friends, the communication on which friendship is based, the relation uh, to those who cannot be our friends in this life, friendship with God, the relation of our activities to this life, uh, to those of contemplation. Uh, these questions arise naturally and insistently. We are not fully human until we feel their urgency and perhaps more profoundly uh, a charm in our own minds, the urgency and their charm. That revelational responses are posed uh, to these very questions, uh, asking naturally, inevitably, in political philosophy, can finally be looked upon either as an accident or as an uncanny coincidence or as a suspicion that some wholeness exists even beyond philosophy without necessarily denying that philosophy's proper task is the wholeness of being. Political philosophy, in its true sense, exists that these deeper questions 
may properly be formulated in every city and be uh, proposed there to every human person in friendship beyond politics. No earthly city is the city of God. The understanding of our evil and finiteness moderates any claim that such a city can be built by our own powers in time. The question of the location of the city of God, of the ultimate reaches of friendship with God and with one another, uh, nonetheless is formulated by political philosophy in its history and proper reflection on itself. Loyalty to what is requires that we notice all the answers posed to these uh, enigmas of the tractates on friendship. Some answers, at least, will seem surprisingly to be addressed to the questions as asked, to the questions arising from uh, our experience of the highest things that live in friendship with one another. The very fact that based on the experience of what is, the treatise on friendship in political philosophy poses the exact questions human beings need to ask of themselves and of the world itself constitutes the true dignity of political philosophy. Aquinas understood the brilliance and daring of Aristotle because he understood that the answers of revelational of revelation uh, needed questions of philosophy. The wholeness of man, God, and the universe is guaranteed by proper intelligence, uh, that is, by a polity in which philosophy can pose the true questions and in which all answers are considered, not just for their own sakes, but for the sake of the uh, questions as posed. These are things of uncommon importance. It is right that we should consider them. The end of the chapter. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.